0: This morning in our in our 8:30 service, in our first service, Al Burrow was here. Some of you would know Al. He's been a part of our congregation for a long time, and recently went through a, a, a tough health season. And it was great to have him back in church after a long time this morning. And when uh, Pastor Bill recognized Al, it reminded me of a story that came to my mind about him when we were in the process of moving to this building. If, if you're new to the Toledo area or new to Calvary. You might not know that, that this used to be the, uh, the Mommy 18 movie theater, and uh, we used to have a, a church home. We still own the building on Glendale Avenue was our, was our church home, and when the Lord kind of whispered to our heart as a church to make that move from Glendale down here to Conant Street, um, it, it's, it, if you've not been through anything like that, it's a huge faith move. I mean it's really this opportunity where as a church you have to say look we're going to leave what is familiar and go to what's unfamiliar we're going to leave what's safe to what's kind of risky we're going to leave what we know for the unknown And I'm so thankful for a church that was willing to take a step of faith and trust the Lord and watch how he would would lead us into things in the future. And our board led that with such wisdom. And one of the things that we did during that season of time was we conducted some town hall meetings that would give people an opportunity to come and ask questions. And If you've ever been in a meeting like that, you know that people have different ideas and thoughts and and concerns and you walk through that. And and as the the person who who has to kind of chair those meetings, lead those meetings, when someone steps up to the microphone, you never know what they're going to say. You don't know if they're for, if they're against, you don't know how that's going to play out. And in our body, our church family um, addressed that whole season with such grace and such faith. But I remember in one of these meetings, Al Burrow stepped up to the microphone and uh, and he said, I I just want to say that I drove over there to that movie theater. And as I drove around in there, I saw the signs. And as you know, a movie theater has all kinds of signs that are out. They have the the signs that are out front that, that say the different words, have the movie posters that are out there. And. And Al said, and I drive around that building, and when I went over there and I drove, there were only two words that stood out to me. When I looked at those signs, two words came to my mind. I'm thinking, two words, what's he thinking? No trucks. I, I don't know, what's he thinking? Like horror film, right? I don't know what he's about to say. He says, when I look at those signs, the two words that seemed to jump out at me were the words, coming soon. And he said, if Jesus is coming soon, then we as a church need to do everything that we can to make sure as many people hear about the good news of Jesus Christ and have their lives changed as is possible. Wouldn't that? And I, and I just thought that was such a good reminder that that story was such a good thing to remember on a day when we're in a series of messages that we are calling spoiler alert. And we're looking at the end of the Bible. We're looking at the end of the book. We're looking at what Scripture says to us about the end of the world and what's going to happen when this story that we're living in is over. Because we believe this. We believe, as Scripture says, that Jesus is coming soon. We don't know when. No man knows the day or the hour. We just know this, that Jesus is coming again. And we looked at this from Scripture last week in what we often refer to as the rapture. Scripture calls it our blessed hope, a time when Jesus is going to come again. And we looked at how, in a certain sense, when Jesus comes again, he's kind of, he's kind of like a magnet for the saints, and we're going to be drawn up off the earth. We're going to meet him in the air. It sounds kind of sci-fi, and for some of you, if this is new, it's kind of like, boy, is that, is that legit? Is that real? This is what Scripture says to us is going to happen at the end of time. And we will go and we'll be with Jesus forever. And that will begin what we refer to as the second coming of Jesus Christ. So for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what happens after the rapture. Because there's a lot of speculation. And we look at Scripture. Next week, we'll talk about kind of a timeline of what happens after the rapture on earth. And we'll have, even in your bulletin next week, kind of a little chronology, a little timeline, that will help us to see what Scripture says about what's going to happen on earth after the rapture. But this morning I want to talk about what we believe is going to take place in heaven after the rapture. Talk about what takes place for those of us who are followers of Christ. What do we experience? And we're going to look specifically at a topic that oftentimes is referred to as judgment day. Revelation chapter 22 verse 12. Jesus says this, "Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me then I will give to each person according to what they have done. So Jesus says this, I'm coming again, and when I do, I come and I will judge what you have done. And, and I love it that he says this with a positive tone. I'm going to reward you, he says. I'm going to give you a reward for the things that you've done. See, Jesus doesn't come with his first intention just to be, how can I bust you? <laughs> how can I come with a checklist and show all the things that you did wrong? Jesus says, I come, and when I come, I come to reward you. And so this morning I want to talk to you about this idea of Judgment Day. Because Scripture is full of reminders about this. You know how like when you have an appointment, they'll send you some kind of reminder so that you don't forget? Just this week I had an appointment. I mean, this happens everything from going to the doctor to getting a haircut. I I had an appointment this week, and I got two text messages, one email, and a phone call all about it. And I've never missed an appointment before. I'm just on their hit list or something. I don't know why. Look, Scripture is full of reminders about this day, about this judgment day. So I want to talk to you today about what you and I need to do if we're going to be ready for that day. You know how like sometimes the Red Cross, or you'll see it online somewhere, where they'll give you some kind of disaster preparedness plan? They'll say, you need to be ready, so here's a checklist. Make sure you have water in your basement and fresh batteries. Have a radio, have a flashlight, all that kind of thing. Here's how you get ready for what may come. Let me tell you this today. I want to give you a checklist for Judgment Day. Five things that is absolutely essential that you consider if you're going to be ready for the day when you stand before Jesus. Five things that I hope you remember and that you'll take to heart. We're going to look at a lot of scripture here today. We're going to consider a lot of things from what God's word says. But we're going to talk about a checklist for judgment day. So here we go. Thing number one that I hope you will do as you prepare, save the date. Number one, save the date. If you know anybody that's gotten married in the last uh, couple of years, then you probably got a little card in the mail months before the wedding that said save the date. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where they give you the date and they say, look, we're not giving you all the details yet. We're not giving you all the facts. We're not asking you if you want fish or chicken or, or beef, right? We're just saying, this is the day that's coming. We hope you'll plan and prepare for it. And what's cool is then you have that and you can go to your calendar and you can make sure, oh, I love them. I want to I wanna go to that wedding. And you mark it down so you don't miss it. Or you can go, oh, it's that day. I need to come up with an excuse, right? It's one or the other, Right. <laughs> try to figure that out but it's save the date because you know you need to respond because it's coming second corinthians chapter 5 verse 10 paul says for we must all appear before the judgment seat of christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body whether good or bad paul says look the day is coming so save the date You can't dodge it. You can't avoid it. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. Someday you are going to stand before God. You're going to have to give an account for the things that you've done, and you need to be prepared. Don't think that this day's not going to happen. Save the date because it's going to come. Every person will one day stand before Christ to be judged. Every person will one day stand before Christ to be judged. It's inevitable. It's going to happen to me. It's going to happen to you. What will that day be like? you think it's going to be like going to the principal's office? Do you think it's going to be like meeting a a superstar, an athlete, or a hero that you may have? I think we're going to be filled with so much awe when we stand before Christ that it will be an experience like like we've never had before, when we come face to face with him. Paul didn't want them to miss how significant this was. Remember, he's writing, this is 2 Corinthians, so he's writing to a group of people in a city called Corinth, and he refers to the judgment seat. Now, that was a, that was a real place. In fact, you'll, you'll hear the term sometimes, the bema seat. Greek was the, the Greek word for that is bema. It was called the bema seat. And what that meant was it was the place of judgment. And everybody that he wrote to would have said, oh, I know what that is. That's a place, it was very prominent architecturally in, the, in, the, in a well-known part of the city that people would go to if there needed to be judgment. So if there was judgment that needed to be passed, if someone had to decide maybe what a punishment would be, or what a reward would be, or someone had to figure out what was going to happen, it would happen at the Bema seat. Not only that, it wasn't just judicial, oftentimes even for an athlete. If an athlete was going to receive a reward, it would happen at that place. And Remember, this is in the time of the the, origin, uh, the original Olympics were taking place in Greek, 2,000 years ago. And so you didn't get a gold medal, you didn't get a trophy, what you would get was a, a wreath that would be woven together with laurel, with with plants then it would be placed on the head of the athlete that was like getting the gold medal and oftentimes that kind of thing would happen at the bema seat so when he said you will stand before the judgment seat the bema seat of christ they all went oh we know what that is that's a place where you go to find out what you deserve for what you have done For how you have responded. For how you have lived your life. And so what that meant was every time they walked by that place. Every time they heard about that place. Every time they thought about that place. They went back to the fact that this is the earthly Bema seat. But someday we will stand before the heavenly Bema seat. The judgment seat of Christ. And he will speak to us there. It was a reminder for them that every time they passed that in their earthly life. They knew they would stand before Christ someday spiritually in the next life to come. And I thought, man, I wish I could think of something that would be a good example that every time you see it, you would be reminded that someday you will give an account to Christ. The only thing I could think of was the red light cameras, which is kind of a lousy example. But do you know what I mean? Those red light cameras that if, you, if you're moving too fast or, or if you're responding too late, you run right through them and then they take your picture. Smile, right? Some of you are so photogenic, you've had your picture taken more than once. And then they send you a little note that basically says, busted. And it's a reminder that every time you go through those things, your driving's being judged, right? And here's the difference between the traffic cams and what Jesus does. See, his hope is not just to bust you. His hope is to reward you. He doesn't do this just so he can prove what you've done wrong. He wants to recognize what you've done right in living your life before him. And it's inevitable that this would happen. This is an appointment that you cannot postpone or cancel. I don't care who you are. You know, I've got some friends that every time they have a doctor's appointment, they're like, I don't want to go. They just put off the inevitable. I'm afraid of what I'll find out or it takes too much time or I'm going to have to wait. So they call up and they say, hey, can I just push this back six weeks? Look, on judgment day, you're not going to be able to look at Jesus and go, Hey, can I, can I get a rain check? Can we reschedule this gig? It doesn't work that way. And recognize what he said here. He said that on that day when you stand at the Bema seat, at the judgment seat of Christ, you will receive what is due you for what you've done in this body, in this life, whether good or bad, which tells us this truth. Today's actions have eternal consequences. April 19th. 2015, what you do today makes a difference in what you face in your eternity. Today's actions have eternal consequences. So if you haven't thought about that, if you haven't considered that one day you're going to have to stand before Christ, save the date because it's going to happen. And then, number two on the checklist, Judgment Day checklist number two, make reservations. I encourage you to make reservations. Have you ever been to like a, like a really super fancy restaurant and it's one of those places where you do well? They encourage you, hey, you better make reservations before you come. Ron and I have, have done that on a few occasions. And you walk into the place and there's this real nice lady. She stands behind the little podium that's there and you come in. She's like, oh, hello. Welcome to this place. We're so glad you're here. How many in your party? And you're like, there's two. And she's like, do you have reservations? And I'm like, I don't, know. I, don't I don't have any reservations. She's like, go sit over there. How long will it be? Forever. Sit over there, right? It's different all of a sudden. But you walk up and you're like, you're like, Do you have reservations? You're like, Yeah, I got reservations. She goes, What's your last name? And I said Gilligan, and she goes, Ha ha Gilligan, really? <laughs> Happens all the time. It, we all gotta cross the bear. You just deal with it, right? And I said, Gilligan. She's like, Oh, okay, okay, come this way. Okay? Why? Because I made reservations. It's different. The same thing is true with your eternity. Revelation chapter 21 verse 27. In speaking about heaven, John writes this. Nothing impure will ever enter it. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Do you know what the Lamb's book of life is? It's God's reservation book. And it's where he has all the names of those who have made Jesus their Lord and Savior. All of those who have committed their lives to be followers of Christ. That's who will be in heaven. And the reality is this, that heaven is the eternal home of those whose names are found in the book of life. Now I don't know, as you're you're sitting in this room, or maybe you're watching online in some way, and you're you're watching this, I don't know how you feel about heaven or hell. Whether you think it's true or whether you think it's a myth. And we're going to unpack these things in the next few weeks. We're going to really look at what scripture says. I just know this, the Bible tells us that there is a very real place called heaven. And heaven is the eternal home of those whose names are found in the book of life. And so it's someday you're going to stand before God and it's important for you to know that your name is in that book. Did you make the reservation so that you have the promise of spending eternity in heaven with him? And in a few weeks we're going to unpack heaven. We're going to talk about this a little bit. What's it going to be like? What are we going to do there? Who are we going to meet there? How's that experience going to be for us? We'll talk about heaven some more, but it's important that you make a reservation to go there, right? Because the alternative, if, if you don't make the reservation, if you've not accepted God's love and his forgiveness and his grace and his mercy through Jesus Christ, then the alternative, well, let me, let me read to you about that. And before I do, what I'm about to read to you from Revelation chapter 20, I personally think is, is one of the most frightening passages in all of Scripture. I say that not to scare you. If it does scare you, then, then good, maybe it should. But I say this because out of love If this is the truth And I believe that it is Then it's something we can't ignore And that we have to see Revelation chapter 20 verse 11 Look at what John writes He says Then I saw a great white throne And him who was seated on it And the earth and the heavens fled from his presence And there was no place for them And I saw the dead great and small Standing before the throne And books were open. Another book was open." which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done recorded in the books. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Watch this. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. In two weeks we'll really really talk about this a little bit more. But that lake of fire is what scripture refers to as a place called hell. And we believe that it's a real place. Not something that you really want to talk about a whole lot. But scripture sure informs us a lot about it. And hell is the eternal home of those whose names are not found in the book of life. And again, in a couple of weeks, we'll... Start next week and then really in in two weeks kind of talk some more about this subject. What does scripture really say? But here's what we believe. That there is a place called hell. That for eternity there is torment and you are apart from God. And if you've not made that reservation to have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then this is what scripture says is the home of those whose names are not found in the book of life. So what do you do about that? Well, before we're done here today, I want to talk to you about what it means for Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior. But right now, I just want you to see this distinction that there is, when it comes to Judgment Day, a difference between those who have made their reservations and those who have not. So what does that mean as we consider this day? I want to talk to you then about about the day that those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ will stand before Jesus. What do we do? How do we prepare for that day? We save the date, right? We make reservations. Number three we take it personal. Number three, we take it personal. You know, sometimes somebody will say to you, hey, don't take it personal. <laughs> this, take it personal. Here's why. Because oftentimes when we talk about things like this, one of our natural defense mechanisms, I think as humans, is that we want to compare. We want to look and go, look, I'm, I'm, I'm better than that person in some way. Now, you may be more righteous than some of the rest of us, but all of us know at some point we, we do that, right? We look at someone else and we feel better because we're not as bad off as they are. Well, at least I'm not as blank as that person. You fill it in. At least I'm not as old looking as that person. At least I'm not as big looking as that person. At least I don't... Uh, Move as slow as that person or i'm not as this as that person now. Maybe you're not like that But the person sitting next to you really is i'm telling you Because we have a tendency to do that We compare ourselves And when we talk about eternity, we're prone to do this. We're prone to do this We're like, well, look i'm i'm not perfect, but I can tell you this. I'm no hitler Not done anything that bad The bottom line is this when judgment day comes that's not going to be an option There will be no time for comparison on judgment day There will be no time for comparison on judgment day. When you stand before Jesus, he's not going to look at you and go, Hey buddy, what's happening? Now, help me out here. On a scale of Billy Graham to Hitler, where do you think you fall? It's not it's not an option. That's not how it's gonna work. He is going to ask you, he is going to show you personally what this means in your life. 1 Corinthians, uh, excuse me, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 14 verse 10. Look at what Paul says. He's talking to the people there about their, their, their proclivity to compare themselves to other people and he says this, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat, God's It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God, so then... Each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. It is personal. It is your story. It is what you've done with what God has entrusted to you. The influence he's given you. The resource he's given you. The gifts that he's given to you. What have you done with those things? The trials that you walked through. The victories that you've had. How are you going to handle those things? It is about what you have done. And look, it's good for you to know there's nothing hidden here. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. It's all out there. Now, look, this is really good news if you're in trouble, right? If you're in a place where you are facing some kind of challenge, it's great to know that God knows everything, right? He's got everything figured out. He knows what happened in the past. He knows what's going to happen in the future. You can put your confidence and your trust in him. Scripture says that he even has the very hairs of your head counted. For some of you, that's not much math for others of us. Right? It's a big deal. But here's the deal. He knows everything about us. He's right there with us all the time. On the one hand, that's really good news. On the other hand, there's nothing hidden. That thing that you hope I don't find out about? That thing that you would certainly not want proclaimed from this platform this morning? And I can tell you this, I've got that thing, you've got that thing, we've all got that thing. It says here that everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So if that's the case, what does it mean? Well, think about this. This is what scripture says. You will be judged for your secrets. Those things that you think nobody else knows about. Those things that you really would prefer to keep hidden. You will be judged for your secrets. Romans chapter 2 verse 16. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. Nothing will be hidden. Scripture also says that you will be judged for your character. This is an interesting thing. Not just who you are on the outside, but who you really are on the inside. Listen to the words that Paul uses when he talks about this in Romans chapter 2. It's kind of a lengthy passage, but but think about this. Paul says, Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when His righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking... And who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. And he knows what's going on in your heart. And you will be judged according to your character. How's this then play out in your life? Well, you will be judged for your words. The things that you say. You will be judged for your words. When I, when I first came across, years ago, this passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 12, it was really sobering for me. I mean, to the point that, that it bugged me. And just to be honest, every time I come back to this passage, it bugs me again. Listen to what Jesus said. He says, But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken For every empty word they've spoken. You will have to give account for every empty word that you've spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted. And by your words you will be condemned. When you stand before Jesus. It's your own words. That you'll be judged by. That will be ringing out there in eternity. Yeah, some of you should be squirming not only your words listen to what else he says you will be judged for your deeds what you've done you'll be judged for your deeds ephesians chapter 6 verse 8 now we already know this is true right because when we looked at second corinthians 5 he said you'll receive what's due for what you've done in the body whether good or bad but watch what he does here i think this is really significant ephesians 6 8 because you know that the lord will reward each one for whatever good they do whether they are slave or free do you see what he said there he stayed positive He said, look, you're going to get rewarded for the good that you've done. It's not that God's sitting there just waiting to bust you. He wants to bless you. He wants to reward you. He wants to focus on what you've done right, how you've taken the things He's entrusted to you, and how you've used them to be obedient and to accomplish His will and to serve Him. He's more interested in your reward than He is in your loss. Now, that's really good news. And that changes how I live this out. Because then I should live with confidence looking forward to that day. Because what he's really intent on is not your punishment, but on your rewarding. But he'll reward you for your deeds. You will also be judged for your attitudes. That's going to come into practice here. How did, how did you live your life? Here's one example. Jesus is talking about anger. And listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 5. He says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, which was an Aramaic word that kind of meant you're you're worthless, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Jesus says it very clearly, how you view other people, your attitudes towards others is something that you'll be judged by. He also says that you'll be judged for your motives. Not just what you did, but why did you do it? What was the intent in your heart? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. He will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. You see, God wants to give us praise. He wants to give us a reward. It's up to us, though. What have we done with what he's given to us? And this is kind of sobering because that means that very personally you you need to consider how have you lived your life. Do you remember remember the governor, the former governor of Illinois, Rod Blagojevich? Do you remember that guy? Got himself in a bunch of trouble because when President Obama got elected, his Senate seat was open. So it was up to Blagojevich to appoint someone to be in that seat, and he was trying to sell that seat. Do you remember that? He was looking for what he could get out of that Senate seat, which just just for the record, you're not supposed to do, right? It's kind of bad government. It's illegal. And in the midst of this, he finds out he's being investigated. Rod, you shouldn't be doing this. Rod, this isn't cool. But you know what he does? Even in the midst of that, they bust him, talking to kind of an undercover agent. That all these things are recorded, they're traced, where he's just brazenly trying to work these deals and get what he wants. And if you step back in the story, you go, dude, what were you thinking? You already had been warned that everything that you were doing... Every place you went, every person you talked to, the words you said, the deeds you did, all of that was out there and being recorded so that if you did something wrong, you'd be busted. You'd be accountable for that one day when you had to stand before a judge. Did you not know this? What were you thinking? And yet all of us go through our lives so quick to forget that every word I speak, every deed I do, Every attitude of my heart, Scripture says God has on His heavenly DVR, right? Not because He wants to bust me, but because He wants to bless me with reward. And one day the books will be open and we'll have to watch that playback. And God ain't skipping the commercials, right? And on that day, we have to give an account for those things. So you you need to take this reminder personal. Which takes us to our fourth thing, fourth thing on the checklist for judgment day, build to last the things that you do with your life, build them so that they will last. Now, like I said, in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about what it means for those who will be judged whose names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But today, we're we're talking about those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, those who have made a commitment to Christ. What does it mean when we stand before Christ at the judgment seat of Christ? And one of the things that is not up for debate at that time is our salvation. This is important for you to know. Because at that point, when you stand before Christ, you're there because of the work that he did on the cross. This is not a debate with regards to whether you make it into heaven or not. That's already been decided. And for many of us, our quick response is, I got hell insurance. I'm good. I can live. I can do whatever I want to do. But scripture is so big about this. It says, look, that's not enough. You're missing out on the big picture. As a follower of Jesus Christ, it's not just about whether you make it into the heavenly club or not. There's so much more than that. Scripture says that there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what's at play here is not heaven, but it's eternity for sure. So you want to use your life in such a way, use your resources, use your influence, use your gifts in such a way that you build things that will last. Listen to what Paul writes, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. He says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ Jesus. If anyone builds on this foundation, listen to what he says here, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. Do you see the contrast he works there between gold, silver, costly stones, and wood, hay, and straw? Sounds like the three little pigs, doesn't it? And even the three little pigs knew. Building the house out of wood, hay, and straw is going to end up badly. The bricks are what you want to build with. Something that's going to last You had no idea that the three little pigs was a biblical parable, did you? (laughs) Look at what he goes on to say here. He says, what are you going to build with? Gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw. He says, it will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. And if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames. So a few thoughts here. One is this. Our works will be tested with fire. Our works will be tested by fire. Now look, I don't know if when he says your works can be tested with fire, if it's a literal fire, if it's a heavenly fire, if he's making an analogy here. But here's what he's saying. That at some point, your works are going to have to pass through the fire. They're going to have to go through a test to see whether they're going to last or not. And when gold and silver and precious stones go through the fire, they stand firm. They stand strong. But wood, hay, and, and straw, what happens to them? Pff, they're up in smoke, right? What's left? Nothing. Nothing. What a mess. They're gone. And so Paul says, what are you building your life with? Things that will last or things that are not going to last? Things that when life comes and huffs and puffs and blows your house down, is it wood, hay and straw? Or is it going to be made out of something that is going to be solid? Our works will be tested by fire and we will be rewarded for what we build that lasts. We will be rewarded for what we build that lasts. So, friends, what are you building with? Are you investing your life, your gifts? Ephesians 2.10 says that God has created you with great purpose. Things that he has created you to do. What are you doing with your resource? Are you investing in things that will last? What are you doing with your influence? Are you making a difference in the lives of others? Some of you have gifts and abilities that God's given to you. He wants to use those things to bless other people. Bless them. He's going to bless them through you, right? Yeah. I'm so excited. I'm lifting. This is Hugh Wathgley. Wabbit you. Okay. Um, It's been a long morning, friends. It's been a long morning. Um, Let's just pray. Look, he's given you things, and he wants to use those things in your life to be a blessing to others. Some of you are just sitting on those things. And you're not realizing, or you're just too stubborn, or you're just too scared to do what he wants you to do with those things. Are you building something that will last? Listen to how he talks about this. Paul uses a different analogy for the same thought First 1 Corinthians 9. Look at what he says. First Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25. He says, everyone who competes in the games. Now he's speaking about the, the, the Olympic Games of Greece in that time. Kind of a precursor to what we know today. He says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Remember, we already talked about this, that athletes would go to the Bema seat, and one of the things that they would do is they would receive a crown because they won. Not a gold medal, not a cheesy little trophy. They'd get a crown. That was what they worked for. And Paul says, look, these athletes give their whole lives to gain these crowns that are just going to deteriorate and fade away. But we do it to get a crown, to get a reward that on Judgment Day, God's going to give to us. This is very significant, what he says here. And I think it's very significant for you to realize because there's a crown that's in store for you. Listen to how James describes this, because Scripture speaks to us a lot about these crowns. James chapter 1, verse 12. James says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Time out. Talk about this for a minute. Because some of you, that's you. You're under a trial. I don't know what it is. I just know for some of you, you have lost so much. For some of you... You're in the midst of a season that you never asked to be in, that you never dreamed you'd be in. You're walking through a dark time. You're walking through a hard time. You're walking through, I don't know if it's health. I don't know if it's job. I don't know if it's future. I don't know if it's family. I don't know if it's fear. I don't know if it's depression. I don't know. Just when I said, those who are under trial, you go, that's me. Then I want you to grasp what he says here today. James writes, and God would speak to you today, and he would say, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Look, I don't know what you're going through, and I wish that I could always preach a gospel that says, I don't know what you're going through, but I'm sure that by the end of the day, it'll be green lights and rainbows. Amen. Where the truth is for some of you The pain you're going through The heartache you're going through May not be resolved or vindicated Until we get on the other side or in heaven I just know this That this trial friends Isn't really about you It's about that day that you stand before Jesus And he looks at you And he says Well done good and faithful servant Let me give you this crown of life See you're not working For what you get today you're working for what you get on that day. But today it's tough. And today it's hard. And it might be frightening and it might be sad. And I'm just telling you, don't give up. Because your focus isn't what happens today or tomorrow. Your focus is what happens in eternity. Listen to how Jesus said this, Revelation chapter 3, verse 11. He says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown let me encourage you, you need to build to last. Because you're not living for today. You're building for another day. There's this interesting phrase that Paul uses at the end of that passage. Listen to what he says. He says, if it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. We'll, we'll probably come to that later as we get through this, this series but yet we'll be saved. Remember, we're not talking about your salvation. We're, we're talking about reward. He says, yet we'll be saved even though, listen to this, even though only as one escaping through the flames. He gives this picture of somebody whose house is on fire and they run out of the house, it's on fire. They lose everything and they come out just with the shirt on their back and the smell of smoke in their hair. That's it. That's all they got. They lost everything. And Paul says, look, some of you are going to squeak into heaven. <laughs> You're going to get just in. And you're not going to have anything but just the fact that you escaped through the flames. And you'll have no works to show for it. And the truth is this. God doesn't want squeakers in heaven, right? By his grace, he wants all of us to be there. But he has something more in store for you. Two quick thoughts. One is this. God has more for you than just for you to squeak into heaven. My hope is that you don't walk down the streets of gold for all eternity and go, Anybody smell smoke? Oh, that's me. That's my hair. Sorry. Sorry. And this, if you're sitting here today, if you're watching this, and you say to yourself, you know what, Whew, I just want to know I get in. I just want to kind of squeak in. I just want to just make it. I'm going to live my life now, but then I just want to make sure I just, I just get through the pearly gates. Then there's a real good chance, friend, that you're fooling yourself. You need to save the date. You need to make the reservation. You need to take this thing personal, build something that'll last. And the fifth thing, you need to get to know the judge. Who are you going to stand before? Judgment seat of Christ. And if you show up at the judgment seat of Christ, and that's really the first time that you and Jesus hang out, it's not going to end up so well. Let me read to you what I also believe to be one of the most terrifying passages in all of Scripture. Matthew chapter 7 verse 21 Jesus says not everyone who says to me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven many will say to me on that day Lord, Lord did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles then I will tell them plainly Jesus says I never knew you Away from me, you'll leave with yours. But Jesus, we we were, we were friends. I went to church. I got involved. I was on a serve team. We saw miracles. There were amazing things that happened. I knew all about you, Jesus. And Jesus says, "Yeah, but, but you never knew me. It's not enough to know about Jesus. We must know Him as our Lord and our Savior." We must be followers of Christ. We must be committed to him. We must have realized that he's the one who's in control of our lives. That we live our lives according to his word. And realize that without his death on the cross and his resurrection, we're lost without that. Because if we think we're going to roll up to heaven and show a membership card at a church. Or bring a church bulletin so we get 10% off or whatever. I don't know. If we think that's what's going to do it, he's going to look at us and say, It's not because I don't love you. That you can't come in. It's because I don't know you. And just to be honest, friends, as a kid that grew up in the church, it really scares me. And I've wrestled with that. What does that even mean? It wasn't until I went through this passage for, for this message that I really think I. I I got some insight into what Jesus was saying there because he makes this terrifying statement that you could stand before him on judgment day and he'd look at you and say, you know what, I don't even know you. But what's the criteria? How do you figure that out? And I realized that in the very next verse, Matthew chapter 7 verse 24, Jesus begins by saying, therefore. And when you see a therefore, you have to figure out what it's there for, right? (laughs) So why is he saying that? He's saying, in light of what I've just told you, About judgment day let me tell you a story he says therefore and what jesus does in the next three four verses there is he tells a story of two dudes two guys who built houses and he says one of them built a house that was on the rock it was on a firm foundation but the other built a house that was on the sand which is kind of shifty and what happened for both of these houses is that the rains came and fell hard and the winds blew and when that storm came through it affected both of those houses but the one on the rock it stood firm but the one on the sand, it crumbled and it was a great disaster. And Jesus is speaking there about our lives and he's speaking about when we stand before him in judgment. And he says, The house on the sand is like someone who knows everything that I say but just doesn't do them, he just doesn't live them. But the house on the rock is like someone who knows my teachings, Jesus says, who knows what I say and then does them and their life is steady and it's solid and it's preserved and it's firm and it's safe. And my question is, where are you building your house? On the rock or on the sand? Because on judgment day, that's what's going to make all the difference. That's what's going to affect your eternity. That's going to affect whether Jesus says, I never knew you. Or if he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on in. And my challenge to you today is to consider whether or not you're ready for that judgment day. If you're here and you're a follower of Christ, then the encouragement is that you will do everything you can to build something that's going to last. But for some of you, you're not so sure. You're not so sure what that final day will look like for you. And maybe today's the day that you need to make your reservation. What's it going to be like? Revelation chapter 4 verse 8. Scripture says, Each one of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, this is speaking about the future, day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns. Remember we talked about crowns, right? Our reward. They take their crowns and they lay them before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Look, here's the deal. Someday we're going to stand before God. And when we do, we're going to take those crowns of reward that he's given to us and we're going to lay them at his feet. You know, if you if you were in a basketball camp and Michael Jordan showed up to give you your trophy, all of a sudden you wouldn't be so concerned about that trophy, would you? You'd want to play ball with MJ. If Leonardo da Vinci showed up at your art class to hand out certificates for a job well done, first of all, that'd be weird because he's dead. Second of all... Second of all, you wouldn't be so concerned about the certificate. You just want to watch that dude paint. When you stand before Jesus, you're not going to be so concerned about those little crowns. You, as his creation, are going to want to stand before the creator. And you're going to want to say, I thank you for what you've done for me. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Was and is and is to come. In fact, in this moment, would you just close your eyes and think about that? What's it going to be like when you stand before him? Does the thought of it strike you with terror? Or are you filled with joy and confidence to know that someday you'll stand there and receive that reward from him? And in the next few moments, would you consider your own life and what judgment day may be like for you? I know we've gone a little long, and I'm sorry for... uh... No, I'm not. (laughs) Here's uh quit quick 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 quick. Here's, here's the thing. For some of you, as you're standing with your heads bowed, eyes closed, you're in your heart and you're saying, God, I've got to build more things that will last. I want to be ready to stand before you that day. For some of you, whether it's looking forward to that crown of life or looking forward to that, to that moment you know with confidence you're going to stand before him and you can't wait to hear him say well done good and faithful servant that's what you're living for and if that's the case then this is a message that, that really isn't so important for you in the next two minutes but it is in the next few days and two weeks and two months and two years as you live that out but I want to take just a moment and talk to those of you that may still be stuck going I don't, I don't even know if I've made my reservation I don't know that I'm ready for that day My fear is that I'd stand before Jesus and that I'd hear him say, I never knew you, depart from me. God's word says that Jesus loves us so much that he died on a cross for our sins. And his hope is not to punish us, but that he rose from the grave so that he could give us a life and so that he could give us reward so that we could spend eternity with him. And maybe you've been living your life without him. Maybe you know an awful lot about him, but you've been building your life on sand of whatever you want to do. Or maybe this is all brand new to you today, but you just know in your heart that you want to be ready for that day. And you would say, Chad, would you, would you pray with me? I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, that my name is in that Lamb's book of life. If you're here today and you need Him as your Lord and Savior, or if you know that He is your Lord and Savior, would you pray this prayer with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank You for Jesus, for sending Your Son, to die for my sin. And I ask today that you'd forgive my sin, that you would change my life, that you would be my Lord, that you would be my savior. I look forward to that day when I will stand before you and hear you say, "Well done, good and faithful servant." I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hope through this series is that it will change our perspective, that we will live our lives with eternity in mind. God bless you. Thanks for being here. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.